What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Instagram at talklouder underscore podcast. And of course, our website, talklouderpodcast.com. I'm Metal Dave, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. And you're going to have to excuse me if I feel a little giddy giddy today i'm a little uh i'm a little giddy man um we have brian small from the hangman on the show today and brian is one of my heroes and he was kind enough to do the podcast great interesting dude if you don't know the hangman they've been around since the late 80s and uh they kind of came up in the la area but they weren't part of the whole hair metal scene they were they were a grittier band, a little more uh, seedy, a little dirtier, um, a little twangy, almost a cowpunk garage rock kind of band. I could. It's safe to say that they were never going to bleed over, really, into what was happening down the street. You know. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've had some guys from Junkyard on this podcast, and there's a lot of similarities, I think, between junkyard and the hangman in the sense that uh they had a little twang in their music and they weren't concerned necessarily about image which was all the rage back in the day when these bands were coming up uh so again uh and and brian brian has a very interesting uh, vocal delivery too he's very uh, he sounds like bob dylan neil young tom petty these guys that have sort of a nasally sort of element to their vocals which adds to the music in my opinion um it makes the pain more painful and it makes the celebration more joyful and uh and uh i've been a big fan of the hangman for for a number of years now and just that's really called tone dave yeah it's called yeah. tone well he's, so got he's singing tone. with tone and he's singing from the heart and he's uh i i think that you know after talking to him and 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 hearing what his true influences are from just early days growing up and what he was and what and why he was attracted to the the music he was attracted to he's still attracted to there was no trend ever it was just this thing that he heard that he's actually He's a real de he's a real deal. Yeah. I, I look at uh, Hangman's music as kind of like um, you know, if you like the odd sort of country Rolling Stones song, yeah, yeah. that's not popular, the yeah. deep cut, <laughs> yeah, deep. You know cut. what I mean? If you like, uh, you know, like old punk rock, but like, you know. Dirt, dirty rock and roll that's sleazy, but it's got some twang to it. Yeah, it's not necessarily because the Hangman have rock, they're a rock and roll band. Oh yeah, for sure. But there's this whole other thing going on. Even when they're rock and they're most rock and tune, there's still something else going on. Yeah, there, there's an element of what what people commonly refer to as roots rock. Mm. And it's 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 that sort of rock that does have an element of twang and uh, it's just real genuine and street level and it's not showy and it's not flashy. Um, so and therefore the emotions come across as much more genuine. And I've just I've just loved them from the first time I've heard them. I think I've collected all their records at this point. And 
Uh, I think Brian is a is a genius songwriter. He's great with lyrics, and um, that's and a he's good a great point. personality. It's, they're more about lyrics and not just uh, making you want to dance. It's not yeah. about that at all. It's the it's 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 the same way that the most heartfelt old school Aerosmith or Bob Dylan song or even Rolling Stone song or country songs that uh, broken hearted. Uh, uh, a little bent, uh, yeah. Um, ev- emotional value uh, the lyrics have in Hangman material. I like so, that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's th- it's a it's a this has been a uh, highly enjoyable episode for me because I'm I'm learning I'm learning things about the Hangman that I didn't necessarily know. Um, you know the the times that Brian and I have been in the same room, we didn't know each other. Yeah, but that has happened a few times. Yeah, and uh, it's cool to connect and and kind of hear where where his spirit is kind of coming from uh, when he writes a song, when he speaks to you through his music, and that's uh, awesome. That was that was awesome. So, Dave, yeah. I want to thank you for being such a uh, a fanboy of the hangman and wanting them to come on. You know, the cool thing is, is I've gotten to hang with, and you as well, with uh, Jimmy from the hangman, who's been working with uh, the hangman for quite a while now, Time. Uh, who is in junkyard. Hey, you know what? Brian knew Jimmy before Jimmy had a mustache. That's how long Brian's known Jimmy. That sounds like lyrics. <laughs> Brian knew Jimmy before <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy had, had a mustache. mustache. <laughs> you heard that first here on the Talk Louder podcast. And if you've seen Jimmy's mustache, you know that's a long Ooh, that's, time. That's man. some serious mustache. <laughs> that's yeah, serious. that's like uh that's like Billy Gibbons shaving the middle part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and just letting yeah. the, the the outer rim hang all the way down. Yeah, and we love Jimmy James and it was great for yeah, uh awesome. it was great it was great to hear Brian tell us a little bit about their partnership through all these years cuz they've done some great music together. Yeah. So, I think that, you know, um the goal here talk louder people is to check out some Hangman, but but check out this episode first here on the Talk Louder podcast. <laughs> There he is. Right on. There he Hi is. Hi, guys. There hey, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Dude, please. Thanks for joining us. Got the industrial look. Awesome. There we go. Well, I'm in my basement. Yeah, that's, uh, that's where rock and roll lives. Away from the family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we live in Texas. We don't have basements because the ground's too hard to dig a basement. Well, <laughs> well, I lived in California so long, I forgot what a basement was. Right. I just moved back. I just moved back to Montana. Ah, okay. You're That's where Montana. I'm living now. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's right. basements in Texas. About every other house in in uh, where out where, where I live, there's there's basements. Oh, you but, have basements. But you're there? you're Lucky. not that. You're only half wrong, Dave. There's okay. it's not it's semi rare that we have basements. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Calif- yeah, California, no basements. No. No basements. <laughs> no, because you you start to, you get down a pa- past about two or three feet, there's a fucking earthquake waiting yeah. for you. Hi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Hey, yeah. uh, hey, Brian, I, I just been listening to, um, the record from 2014. I'm sorry. I already forgot the fucking name of it. Me and too. Yeah. It's <laughs> dude. I really, well, Dave, Dave popped in and I, he caught me listening to it. Yeah. Uh, uh, 2014 oh, would be East uh, of Western. Yeah, that's right. East of Western. And, yeah. uh, man, yeah. it's like, I was trying to tell Dave, um, just as you were coming in, you know what it's rock and roll, but what, kind of fucking rock and roll is that um because uh it's so many it's a bastard it's so many things it's so many fucking things that's the beauty of it jason i i appreciate that a lot yeah you're welcome and i i I really do i'm not even fishing for that i'm just trying to i guess it's a question i don't know i'm loving it and i can't really I recently well, started writing country songs over the lockdown uh-huh. and being a Texan, that's kind of in my blood and, sure. and where you're coming from and where I'm coming from probably meets in the middle from some kind of stuff. I mean, my, my dad wore cowboy boots and there was always Johnny Cash and shit laying around, you know, mm-hmm. so whatever. And then, you know, to rebel, I was like, it's kiss. Fuck you, Johnny Cash. I'm listening to Gene Simmons, you know, but (laughs) then you always go back to your Elton John and your Willie Nelson and stuff like that. And it influences your writing because, you know, Queen and Elton and Bowie and Alice Cooper and all that dramatic shit that's going on. Mm -hmm. Elton John was half country, half the time anyway, when you kind of think about that. Mm -hmm. So where are your influences coming from when you, when you pick up, when you you're inspired, where where are you kind of maybe borrowing from? Uh, I think a lot of it is being so musically naive, wow. and not knowing necessarily what I'm supposed to be playing as far as chords go on a guitar. I learned the basic bar chords, and from then. I've not wanted to learn anything more. So that's where, that's where it starts from is the simplicity of not knowing that you're not supposed to do this or that, you know? And also I just, uh, there was a band called gun club from Los Angeles that really, uh, kind of, drove me towards this cowpunk, mm. um, darker imagery ish kind of rock and roll. Yeah. That was more, that was very cowpunky then we, we were very cowpunk when we first started, but we straightened it out. You know, we're a rock and roll band. We've always been a rock and roll band. Sure you have, of course you but, have. But, but, um, yeah, I don't know if that, helps you at all but no it, it totally does let me let me i'm sorry dave i want you to go but the first thing that you said um i fucking love it because i once asked my kick-ass shredder guitar player in one of my bands to give me guitar guitar lesson mm-hmm. and he sat there it was paul by the way dave you're going i wonder who, which one he's talking about it's paul 
and and I and I'm like, hey, Paul, you know, we're we're jamming a little bit, writing some shit. I'm, Give me a guitar lesson, you know, show me some shit. And he, and he sat there and he he thought about it for a second. And he said, no. And I said, I I laughed at him. I was like, why? I was like, why wouldn't? Because it will change. And he didn't even blink. He said, because it will change the way that you write songs. Because I write on guitar. Absolutely. That is the best thing I've ever heard is that like, I don't want to learn how to play guitar, but I'm the guitar player. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because it's, um, that's your magic. That's, it's it's like, just like roll me around in some dirt and then I'm going to be able to write you a song. Like, don't think about anything other than what you know already. Yeah. And And keep it, keep it, uh, yeah. Naivete. Yeah. Yeah. Well, luckily I've got uh, good, I've had really great guitar players to do what they do over this songs, you know, like Jimmy James and yeah. Ron Trost Heathman played with us on the album that you were listening to mm-hmm. and, and our original guitar player, Billy, and, and the list goes on of, of different people, mainly Jimmy for mostly you know the past 20 20 plus years you know so yeah he kind of he and he is so such a simple soulful i don't really know where i'm going type player that it just works really really great with what we do i think you know he plays he he plays what i want to hear you know Mm. It says a lot in a few notes. Oh, yeah. Do you think that he's also following you a little bit? I believe I think him and I have been playing together for so long and he's been in the trenches with me and kind of pulled me out of really dark places and vice versa. And we've become such good friends and and uh continue to trudge the road together, the rock and roll road together, that, that there's, there's a trust and kind of an unspoken way that we, you know, play off each other, you know, but I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm very opinionated in my, in the way I think a song should sound. So he, you know? I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not insisting that he's that, that Jimmy's following you, but if you show up with the lyric or the hook or call mm-hmm. it whatever you want, the, the basically the stick man, mm-hmm. he knows, he knows automatically. I guess this is a sort. Imagine this be a question, please. <laughs> uh, you show up with the drawing of the stick man, and it's your fucking stick man. And Jimmy knows what clothes the stick man is supposed to be wearing with what he's doing in the photograph. Most of the time. Yeah. Okay. And some of the time our, our dynamic is Jimmy knows that I'm going to hammer him until he plays the greatest that he can play, (laughs) you know, because he's, he's so good. He can, he can just like, whip out little things. And I go, Jimmy, you're better than that. You're way better than that. And he goes, what do you mean? What do you mean? And I go, dude, let's keep, 
what, what you did there, that was brilliant, but I didn't even mean to do that. I, yeah, that's right. You know, right. that's, that's you not thinking, you know? Well, yeah. someone and, needs to write a book on, Hey, what was that? Which is something yeah. that, you know, the you know? singer says to the guitar player who's warming up. They're not yeah. even writing anything. Oh, stop. What was that? What was what? Wait, five nice. minutes ago, you played this fucking thing and like, and it's gone. So, so many great so, songs born out of what was that? Oh, no kidding. I can't. What, what are you talking about? No kidding. <laughs> now, now, I'm not trying to paint it like I do. Like, this is our dynamic all the time. Jimmy, 90% of the time comes up with just killer shit, you know. But when we're struggling, you know, we will hash it out, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, and. So, he, and it's, he it's he, with love, man, because yeah, I love the guy so much, you know, course. and I just know he's great. Well, know, I, want people, in, I want people to know he's great. Uh, well, he, he yeah. is. He yeah. is. Yeah. And, um, Big fans here. Yeah. yeah. So Good. he he uh, but but the it's kind of I guess the word is funny. It's kind of funny that in you guys uh, relationship like any real kind of relationship, he doesn't really know what he's walking into. <laughs> he doesn't know when he's going to be in the pressure cooker. Most of the time he might be, Oh yeah, cool. Writing some songs. Cool. But then, you know, sometimes you're like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He caught, call, he calls it the look. You know, <laughs> yeah. I've, heard, I've heard that I have that look. Every every, yeah. every, every relationship, <laughs> every relationship has the look. Yeah, whether and it's mates or spouses right. or whatever. So, yeah, yeah. So that's what I've seen. We've been through so much for so many years that he knows the look, and I know the the look from yeah. him too. Yeah. Like, of course, you know. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all so, get it. I love that. I love that. Thank you for, yeah. I just wanted to dig right in because I was wrapping my head around that record. You know? Sure. Yeah. Right. So Brian, you, uh, you mentioned the gun club and I, I wanted to, you know, maybe start with something current and then go back through your history and maybe use your discography as some milestones for my own benefit. But, but let's start in the present. Uh, you guys just put out, is it an EP that covers the, is it Thunderhead, the uh, Gun Club song? Yeah, that's a song that we did uh, with Rob Younger when we were on Geffen, on the oh. ill-fated Geffen oh. record. Oh, okay. And one of the only tracks that I thought was worthy of, of coming out, you know. I just didn't think the hangman at that time, we were nowhere, we weren't focused whatsoever. Yeah. And uh, anyways, uh, we decided to, you know, put something, sneak something out from that from that album that yeah. was shelved. And, you know, so, so it was just a, a track that was good from that record that we so thought it, would. It also has I don't know if you call it the flip side, but the other song that's part of this release is the studio version of She Walks. And and uh um, oh, yeah and <laughs> I forgot. It's, a, it's a good thing i'm here <laughs> yeah no i forgot that so uh, my question is um i you know you you have it on the live album and you've obviously played it before um but if that's a studio version of that song was that song also uh part of the geffen record that it was it was it okay was. 
So there you have, there's, there's the news on that. So my second question related to all this is I know you're a big gun club fan and I was Mm -hmm. surprised that you did that song because if I'm not mistaken, your favorite album by them is fire of love. Sure. And it's not on that album. So what drove you to Thunderhead versus a song off of maybe fire of love as a cover tune? Uh, At that time, I think I was really getting into that record, Mother Juno, that Thunderhead was on, you know, and, you know, it's hard, Dave, because that those were the druggiest of druggy days. And I don't really know what, what I was thinking. I just knew that we had to, you know, that I love the gun club and that was, that'd be a good one for us to do. And I don't know, that's yeah. about it. There wasn't really much thought behind it. I went back and listened to it. I dug it up to find it and I listened to it and I thought, well, no wonder they chose this. It sounds like it's, it's easily could be adapted into a hangman song, you know? Well, that's some, yeah, that there too. I heard us in that song, Yeah, you know, rather than me trying to harken back to fire of love era gun club and, and, you know, Cause those were very cow punky type songs and we weren't really doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. So much, so much. So I don't know. So you've got that um, out as, as sort of a new release. And then I I think I saw somewhere that you've got an album and I I think the title was an album in the works with a title, a working title called debauchery in the mortuary or something like that. Is that, Uh, that must, no, that's the other different hang. That's that. Okay. Okay. That's, that's the unevil hangman from England. Okay. Jason can relate to this because Jason has a band called broken teeth and there's another broken yeah. teeth out of England. And, uh, oh, shit. yeah. So, so sometimes. Yeah. It's so, <clears throat> so our broken teeth has been around since 1999, plenty of uh-huh. time for them to do a Google search when they come, Hey, we need to name our fucking band here in Manchester. Let's call it Broken Teeth. And they just, Google's going, you know, you can type in Broken Teeth and see if there's another band using the exactly. fucking name in America right yeah. now just to save some face later on. Though they didn't, and that would have been about 2004 or something like that that they yeah. started in Manchester. And they're a great band. They're a hard, like a hardcore band, and they're they're awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's so just not, not to it's be just confusing when people are like looking around trying to see what's going on, you know. That that yeah, that's been such a a thorn in my side for such a long time. Yeah, that I can, band, I what the you're hell? not alone. You're not you alone. Know? So let's uh, go back. You're yeah. you're you're joining us today from uh Montana. And yeah. I've got my facts straight. You were born in Montana, grew up sure. in Boise, Idaho, and then eventually yeah. headed out to LA. So yeah. Uh, what was the driving factor that took you, that sent you to LA? What, what were you, what scene were you trying to attach to, or what was the motivation? What were you looking for? The motivation was X, the band. Yeah. Gun club, the band. And that there was, uh, Texan, the horse heads. Yeah. And these bands I loved, you know, and I was going, I want to go where they're, where they're at, you know, I want to be part of whatever that is, yeah. you know, and I don't know what it was, it, it was punk rock, but it was, uh, you know, 
country-ish. It was debaucherous, you know. That, yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, so I did it. How old were you and when I, you headed out there? Uh, I think I got here when I was late 20. Okay. So you get out to 21. LA in your late 20s and you're looking around for kids. Oh, no, kinder. no. I was 20 something. I was like early, 20. Early 20, 20, 20s. Early, not, yeah, if, not if late not, 20s. If okay. not 20 years old. Yeah. Okay. Young, yeah. young 20s. Young 20s searching uh, for kindred spirits musically. Um, you get out there, you put the hangmen together, and one of the first guys you met in pretty short order, I think, was Keith Morris from people know him best from the Circle Jerks, but he sang for Black Flag and yeah. recently for the band Off. Is, is my timeline right? Did you bump into him pretty quickly? Fairly quick. Yeah. Yeah, I think we were together maybe uh, maybe a year and a half, two years before we played a party downtown and Keith was there and, you know, seemed to like us a lot. And, you know, we started hanging out and he wound up managing us, you know? Right. Wow. Yeah. And, and producing your first album. No, no I'm sorry. That, uh, was, uh, that was Vic. Vic Mail. Yeah. Vic Mail, who did Motorhead's Ace of Spades. Right? Yeah. What a sweet guy that that guy was. So tell oh, me about that, man. because your debut album comes out on Capitol Records, uh, major label. That looks like a good start. You've got Vic <laughs> Mail as a producer. That sounds promising. Uh, sure it all does. Went, it all went to hell. <laughs> what happened? God. I didn't even have to say anything. <laughs> yeah, you, you've people heard this watch, story. People need to be watching this to get what just fucking happened. <laughs> Dave says something. Brian sniff it's and it's like oh dude squirming right there dude I think I just well, you know that story dude. Jason of course yeah of course. I mean so many of us have been through yeah. this uh, this thing that I akin to not to be little uh, not to minimize child abuse but it was child abuse in a way mm -hmm. in a yeah, sense I get that where yeah. where they're the parents and you have no guidance. Yeah. And they're going, do you want a tour bus? And we go, uh, sure. You know? Yeah. We don't know that at the end of the tour, you have to pay back thousands of dollars for this tour bus. Mm -hmm. Right. You know? And all these things. There was, there was, you know, it was just like nobody was, nobody, everybody said they cared. But nobody really cared. Right. No. You know, it's business. No. Yeah. Someone, someone yeah. else with deeper pockets is talking to someone else who uh, supposedly is your friend. And they're coming up with a budget that they think, for whatever reason, you can pay back yeah. at the end of it all. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, it was quite an experience. We didn't have the uh, confidence, I guess, at that point to say what we wanted or didn't want. We didn't, because we were thrown into this thing that was way bigger than us. And we go, we got to just say, kind of say, go with the flow and, you know, very yeah. unrock and roll yeah. and completely unlike us. Was this your you know? years at Capitol Records? Is this yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. 
And um, so, you know, we made decisions. We didn't make them. They were made for us, but we didn't protest enough, you know. And we came out with an album that that didn't sound like us, you know. And and it chewed us up and spat us out. And we were we were cooked. Very you know. similar to so many stories, but Jared, our producer of this show, who was in that band Pariah that was on Geffen and their record came out a little late, you know, um, but, <clears throat> you know, their re- by the time their record came out, they had moved, They the style was, they had changed as a band and there, you know, whoever was developing them didn't let them change. They wanted them to like, hurry up and get through the window of what was happening and not sure. what the band was really trying to say with their songs. Yeah. And so he can, he could relate to this story, like as squirmy as you were a minute ago. So, yeah. 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 I mean, but, there, there were some cool things that happened, sure. you know, the, the girl that signed us, Rachel Matthews is still a friend, you know, and I love her and, you know, but we were, we were all, none of us were, were ready to make any, any good decisions for ourselves right, right at that point. But a lot you know. of your fans though, a lot of your fans point to that record as, as a classic. And, and some people even say you'll, you'll probably disagree because you're in the eye of the storm and you're too close sure. to your material. But a lot of your fans hold that up as maybe your best record. And I know well, that, you know, some of the grit got polished off of it and it got turned into yeah. something that didn't fully represent you, but right, right. Uh, there's great songs on that record. Well, I, there's no, there, I, there's not a song that I don't stand behind on that record. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. we play, we put most of them in, in and out of the set list, you know, to this day. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's not, you know, and you know, I, I think they still hold up. Yeah. And, you know, I'm very proud of those songs. So would it, would that record ever be re-released? Because the, the other thing that people say I, is, I, I love that record, but I can't find it. You don't want it. Good. No. <laughs> if they want to know what those songs are supposed to sound like, they're on the live record. Yes, they are. We've got blood on the toes of our boots. That has every song on that, that record. Makes- Makes so much yeah. sense to me. And that so. record, by the way, we often have discussions on on this show about great live albums. And of course, you get all the standard uh, answers. And there's a reason for that, because those albums are classic. But people in our audience point to Kiss Alive. They point to Live and Dangerous by Thin Lizzy. They point to Lights Out by UFO. Uh, if sure. You Want Blood by ACDC. Yeah. I've always you thrown... You mean in, Strangers in the Night, not Lights I'm sorry, out. Strangers in the Night. Yeah. You're good. Um uh, but, uh, I've always thrown, we've got blood on the toes of our boots into that mix, because to me, that record is, you feel like you're in a smoky bar room listening to a band sweat it out when you're listening to that record. And that's, that's magic. You know, you can't really capture that. It's really hard to capture. And I think it's, it's captured on that record. And that's why I point to it as a great live album. Oh, thanks, Dave. Yeah. That was just, you know, pure luck that it sounds as good as it sounds and we were winging it and but but it it came off good and we got lucky you know but i'm glad those songs are are presented as they should be yeah you know yeah so yeah that's that's what that's the whole point of that record you know it's trying to set the set the sonic 
record of the hangman straight. Yeah. You know, well, I, as I, much as I loved working with Vic mail, that was great, but they went and took all of his mixes and redid them over a weekend. And that's the, that's the hangman album that you hear, you know, it's not what we thought it was going to be, yeah. you know? Yeah. We were bummed and Vic was bummed, you know, they, it was a backhanded deal. Yeah. You know, so but that but was business. That was, so that was Capitol records and, and it, it turned out to not be a great experience, but, and, and so you're coming up, you're in LA and you're kind of coming up in the, I'm going to say this very carefully. You're coming up in the era of cock rock and hair metal, but you're sure. not in the cock rock and hair metal scene. You guys right. are more in the scene of Gun Club, Texan, the Horseheads, Junkyard, the Four Horsemen, bands a little more like that, sort of gritty. There's mm -hmm. some twang in the metal, you know, that sort of thing. So my question is, was there ever, because obviously Capitol Records didn't know what to do with you, was there ever a point where you got booked on some crazy bill with a bunch of hair bands that made no sense because you were in the middle of that city at that time? Were you ever, did you ever do no. a gig with like Warrant or anything like that? No, no. Uh uh. So your promoters were, had their, you know, ear to the well, ground. Well, yeah. Pr uh, you know, it was us promoting us, us booking oh, us, you, you know, or Keith with <laughs> Keith was booking us and he knew what was up and he, he wanted the best for us. So, you know, right. So he, he got it, he got us some great shows, you know, with, I think he was involved in getting us with, the gun club and Ramones and, you know, and a, a couple, one or two circle jerk shows, you know? Yeah. Which yeah. could have gone horribly wrong. Yeah. You know? I, I, <laughs> but, I that. Yeah. That's you know. the, that's the, uh, but it, but it's the same, like, uh, you know, I mean, I'll just say warrant cause Dave brought up warrant that something like that could have gone a little awry as well. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, that's why yeah. I asked, because it's yeah. like if you're in the middle of that city during that time and you're on a major label, I could see, you know, somebody that's not tuned in saying, hey, we'll just pair sure. your guys up with yeah. uh, with poison or warrant and not right. knocking those bands. But the two are nothing right. alike. You know what I'm saying? I, I yeah. think that there's I'm not I, I feel like I'm talking smack about rock fans when i say you know it depends on what that room's expectations are going to be on their way to the show up until the moment they order a drink what yeah. their expectations are of whoever they're there to see and right. then whoever they see before they're there or after they're whoever they're there to see mm. uh their expectations might surprise them as well as you or me or whoever it is that's yeah. the odd man out, right? Right. And surely yeah. some of the some of the circle jerks, you know, fans are like totally down. You know, heard it and were like, "Whoa, this is rad!" Or yeah, it, it had to have happened to some extent. And, yeah. And who's to, who's who's to say it would not ever happen in front of one of those a little more, um, you know, uh, sweeter tasting band, you know, something that's a little you guys are more on the bitter side and they might be a little more, you know, somebody's wearing polka dots, you know. 
Yeah. Well, I just asked the question because it seems like they're, they're, you know, if you're in the middle of Los Angeles in the late eighties and you're a rock and roll band, there's a highly, there's a, there's a highly, there's a very good chance you might end up on a bill with rat or, or warrant or something when you're a band like the hangman or Tex and the Horseheads. And I, if so, then I want to know what was that experience (laughs) like? (laughs) No, we, our stomping grounds were, were clubs like Raji's and the anti-club. And, and those are places where you could see a Jane's addiction Mm -hmm. and a tool. Yeah. Young, young tool, young Jane's addiction. Yeah. And, and then, you know, then the rock and roll of us or junkyard or, you know, kit and L seven, we were all doing these shows together. You know, it wasn't like the sunset strip, the way it seemed to me back in the day was they were all the same type band. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Always, you know, yeah. it was always the same type band playing with the same type band. And, and in, in uh, Hollywood, the areas that we were playing, it was a mixed bag, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. More, yeah. More, yeah. More of a mixed bag. You know, what about and more about, interesting to me? Yeah. What about uh, this? Is just because I'm I'm a fan. Uh, what about back then? It would have been early '90s uh, show with Rhino Bucket. You ever do any shows with Rhino Bucket? I was aware of them. Okay. And we very well could have done a show with them, okay. but I I don't recall. Right. Yeah. What about uh, Coconut yeah. Teaser? Yeah. You were in there? Were you in there a couple times? <laughs> we we played there a few times. Yeah, or yeah. I yeah, I was in yeah. We lived Billy and I and Keith lived about a block away from less than a block from the coconut teaser. That's what so, I thought. Yeah. So that was an that was an easy uh cheap drunk good time night. Did you, you ever know, see uh within walking early, distance? What did you ever see an early Van Halen show at the teaser? No, that was seventies. Okay. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Yeah. Right. You're right. I didn't even know the teaser was around in the seventies. Of course, I, I, I don't know either. Yeah, I, I, thought, know. I thought that's where Van Halen played some of their early shows, but I no, I know they played elsewhere. They played Gazaris. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where they were all the time. They were yeah. what is it? The Starwood and the Gazaris. Yeah, and shit like the, that. And yeah, and, Starwood. And it would do shit I'll out in ahead. Pasadena somewhere too. Yeah, so. yeah, because that's where they lived. Yeah, and David Lee Roth, he had a club that all the punk rockers and rock and rollers would hang out after all the bars closed, called the Zero. And mm. you know, you'd see him hanging out. He loved, he loved that scene. He loved the punk rockers. There, and, and there is know. a book. I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, that's okay. There is a like a coffee table book of L.A. punk world mm-hmm. shit. It might even just be like L.A. rock thing. It's you know you probably it's probably out of print because it's fairly old. And there is, <clears throat> I wish I, I wish I could recall, but my brain cells, you know the. Um, the 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 photos in there there's a ton of like black and white photos and david lee roth is hanging out with the dead boys and he's you know this total underground 
group that, you know, like <clears throat> people who like, you know, Sammy Hagar, Van Halen and, and, you know, jump know nothing about. And there's all of these people that I'm recognizing going, holy shit, a picture of Roth and that dude, you know, and yeah. there's more than one in this book. That's like I said, just a, an array of that whole thing. So. So do you ever meet Roth at one of these parties? No, I didn't. <laughs> but I, I did, I did unfortunately meet Gene Simmons. Oh, tell us and, about that. <laughs> did you say unfortunately? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh my God, no. Well, I'm sorry um, you were a victim. I'm a, yeah. Mm. Um, there was a turning point in, in our scene in Raji's, and that's when Guns N' Roses was coming coming into it and um they were more they were up on the strip playing their shows you know and troubadour and and the whiskey and whatnot and i think they came down to raji's because they heard it was a cool place to play well that was that was a big deal and i was there of course because that's where i lived at raji's you know for years and um, I saw Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley in the audience, and I'm going, this is the end. Oh, <laughs> man. This is the end of this club. You know, <laughs> it's over. Yeah. And in my mind, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. because I was so protective of what I thought was, which is a selfish way to think. But, That's fine, you know, though. Th this, this is our place and this is our scene and now here's gene simmons and paul stanley yeah you know and i was just like fuck you know <laughs> but uh then i later later on i met him he called me axel rose he goes what's up axel you know <laughs> trying to be a dick oh okay because you know? just because you were there because i, and, I because yeah. i was a rock and roll guy yeah and you know whatever but uh, anyways, the story isn't as good as the buildup, but, uh, you know. <laughs> no, but I, I can appreciate what matter. you're saying because I think we've all been in that situation uh, for, on one to one degree or another where we can tell the outside is creeping into our precious scene and sure. we want it to change. Yeah. Whether yeah. it's whether you like you guys, you're musicians. So whether it's another band creeping onto the radar or yeah. in my case, like you're describing, my favorite dive bar is all of a sudden starting to get gentrified and people are starting to find out about it. There's this little bit of ownership in your heart where you're like, yeah. oh, man, yeah. you guys aren't welcome here. <laughs> so yeah. I, can, I can It's relate. interesting. It's interesting how, you know, your, your favorite band no one knows about. And then a year later, you don't like them anymore because everybody else likes them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's a weird That's kind of like how I feel about Austin, Texas. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, that it's, lot. it's this incredible hotbed and, and it's, it's something in the water. And I, I mean, I feel like I wasn't even born till I got here. That would have meant I was born 16 year old and, <laughs> and, you know, anyway, you get it. And then, you know, here I am, one million years later and uh i i still love austin but i can't live there because it's so smarmy and sticky with a trend and a sure and whatever it is i can't it's a 
I'll be over here remembering the old days, licking my wounds. Uh, my scars that I have are, I'm yeah. so happy to have them when, when that was cool and I was happy. Well, yeah. The, the character I can relate. Rubbed away, yeah. You know, that that's, I think yeah. we've all seen that happen some degree or another. It just felt like the authenticity of it started waning. Yeah. You know, um, but you know, again, that's just my perspective of it. No, that's valid. No, it's, it's, and, uh, we all, we all have that. Yeah. yeah. You know, so tell us about the Geffen years, because, uh, you know, a lot of your stuff is documented. I want to talk a little bit about the stuff that's kind of undocumented. So people are aware um, you left Capitol records and ended up on Geffen. Yeah, and we didn't leave. We got. OK. We, yeah. <laughs> you got. Uh, uninvited back. <laughs> uninvited. <laughs> OK, so you got uninvited from Capitol and uh, you ended up at Geffen. And at the time. Geffen, of course, obviously a big uh, money label, but they did have a little sort of area on their roster where they had some, you know, some some kind of gritty bands. I mean, Guns N' Roses, Jason mentioned Pariah earlier, Junkyard was on Geffen. So um, it seemed, and then Nirvana, it seemed like it might not have been a bad fit for you guys. Um, but you recorded an album. It never saw the light of day. So in a nutshell, tell me about the Geffen experience. Well, unfortunately, you know, after we, after we got dropped by Capitol and went through that whole rigmarole with them, the, the, the hangman as it was, nobody was really into it anymore. You know, we just felt like, you know, done the band or, or the, the audience the, the band did okay gotcha the, you know for the most part right and um drugs came into the thing and this decisions that i was making and and um i didn't really have a band and i got a call in my apartment from tom zutat out of the blue you know saying what are you doing and I didn't know who Tom was. And uh, I go, well, I'm, you know, we just got dropped by Capitol. What year was goes, this? This must have been 91, maybe. Okay. 90, 91. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he said, you know, I want you to do a record for Geffen. And I was, I was, you know, I didn't. I didn't really have a band because, you know, you can do whatever you want. You put together another version of the hangman or do a solo record, whatever you wanted to do. So, so that's what I did. I put, I, you know, got together with more like-minded and at that point, like-minded meant you, we like the same kind of drugs. Mm. So, it, you know, we had the musical thing, uh, similarities, but it was, we were all, going to become heroin addicts together mm. and, 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 and go to Geffen records. And, you know, it was, yeah, I was at my worst for sure. And, and, and they Geffen hung in there as long as they could with us, but they had so much trouble at that label with drugs and bands. And they were just like, you know, after we did, after we did the record and we mixed it and all this stuff and I would show up to meetings, you know, just like, you know, 
incoherent hmm. and they're just like, fuck this, fuck you guys. And I was like, cool. You know, to me at that point, I didn't care anymore about the band or about uh, being on a label or anything. So, you know, I, it was a relief for me because I had the band at that point down my road going, get your shit together, you know, get your shit together. And I was just like, I'm, no, I don't want to, mm, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, it got that bad. So um, Let me, can I ask a personal question? Sure. I feel like I'm talking to a person who's in a much, much better place right now. 25 years sober. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, well, no. I can well, let, let yeah. me give you a big hug. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Yeah, man. Yeah. So that was, uh, you know, there's many stories that go along with that mess. You know, we went to Nashville to record the record with Rob Younger from the Radio Birdman, who we loved. Yeah. We could have made a great record. Right. We could have. We blew it, you know? Yeah. We, we weren't focused. We were looking for drugs every night. We couldn't find drugs. Wow. So we drink ourselves, you know, so we wouldn't be sick. And, and yeah, we blew it, you know? So that album, I, I think I saw somewhere that the album was tentatively called Suicide Doors. It was. Yeah. Okay. And, and, um, I thought I read somewhere that some of that material surfaced later on. Is that, yeah. is that accurate? Okay. The, cr the cream of that crop went to Metallic IOU, which okay. came out after I got sober. Right. Okay. You Good. know. Okay. So my, my next question would be, uh, was going to be, is there anything worth salvaging from that session? Or do you feel like you saved the best stuff and the rest of it, you're happy that it's, that it's gone? The only things left, only only meat left on that bone, it, as far as I was concerned, was Thunderhead and She Walks. Yeah. Okay. You know, so those songs and and uh, then a lot of the songs that were on Metallic IOU. You know, right. Down downtown. Great song. Um, Great song. Uh, shoot. Love that um, song. That's my second favorite. You're you're going right down okay. my favorite. So, so those those are those were recorded with Rob Younger producing. We were all under the gun of Geffen. He was terrified because he'd never done a record that had money behind it. Yeah, and we were just unruly, you know, self-centered drug addicts. Yeah, you know, what a nightmare for him. You know, yeah, he's got the label calling him every day. What, how they doing? What's going on? You know, and he can't even keep us from. Uh, poor guy. hearing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm just. So there's a, so. there's a, there's an 11 year gap between uh, your debut album and Metallic IOU, right? I guess. Yeah. So yeah. that's 10 counting. Plus 10 plus years, <laughs> ten, 10 plus years of you guys just kind of lost in a haze. And, and as you mentioned, struggling with your demons or whatnot, yeah, uh, yeah. you, you pull it together in time for metallic IOU. Yeah. Um, uh, 
congratulations, by the way. I saw your post on Facebook recently. You're 25 years clean and sober. That's amazing. Yep. Um, Thank you. What was, the, what was the impetus at that time back around Metallic IOU where you said, I got to get clean, man? Uh, what, 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 was the, what bulb went off in your head that made you turn it around? There was a moment of clarity, as they call it, and that's a great way to put it, of I saw my life clearly. If I was going to knock on my drug dealer's door one more time, the way it would go, how that was going to end up. Yeah. You know? Wow. And even though I had tried for for years and years and years and years to get sober and gone to rehabs and AA meetings and, and all that stuff, you know, I, maybe it had a cumulative effect on me somehow, but you know, it was just that day that I turned around and went back to my car and drove away. And then, you know, it was a moment of clarity, you know, and, uh, and like, this is not what I want my life to be. You know, and it's been like that for, you know, eight years, like solid of, you know, and just losing shit left and right. If we, if we ever had a gig back in those days, we were borrowing from everyone just to have a guitar to play. You know, we, none of us had it gear, you know? Man. So, so it was, you know, and it's not, it's not that different from a lot of other situations with bands you know it's it was a bummer it, and and you know i was one of the lucky ones that lived through it you know yeah so yeah i feel very fortunate you know i'm a slow learner you know it but i got it when i got it and i've managed to hang on to it you know Good for you, man. Yeah. So good for you. And I think, you know, it, it, it shows also in your discography, because after that record, you kind of hit a stride where you were banging out records every two or three years. This is after a, a debut and an 11 year gap between yeah. <laughs> album number two. You finally get it together on album number two, and then you're cranking them out pretty good. Well, um, so- you're being generous, Dave. Well, it's, it's about five years between records, but we do records when we're ready to do them, you know, I, as I you should, I, as yeah. you should anyway, there's no deadline when you're on your own. Yeah. And, and so after the, those, after those early years, you kind of figured it out. It's like, oh, these guys are assholes. I need to be on my own. Yeah. Pretty so yeah. My, my point, my point being that you, you were obviously, uh, suddenly very prolific so was it because much more so you had a lot to a lot to say or was there a lot of leftover stuff sort of backlogged i'm guessing it's not the latter because it sounds like you were a mess and there probably wasn't a lot you know Mm -hmm. tucked away in the closet so yeah uh it sounds like you might have uh found a your creative muse again at that point i think it was i was so stunted by by my my addictions and whatever that when I discovered being in a band and rock and roll again, you know, I had that fire that I had when I was twenty. You know, it's it's you know 
back. So, and that's kind of pretty much propelled me, you know, cause I love being in a band. I love playing live. I love recording. I love trying to make up songs, you know? Yeah. I love that whole thing. Did, you, did you and Jason ever cross paths because you guys both had a debut album that came out in 89. So you're both kind of making your mark around the same time in, in the, you know, rock and roll spectrum. Did if I, I may, if I may, I saw, I saw like ads and things for that first hangman record, uh, pretty much everywhere I was going, uh, you know, a lot of magazines or whatever, and just mm -hmm. like wherever I was. And I swear I saw you guys somewhere and I can't remember where, cause I know it wasn't, and we've already confirmed that it wouldn't have been on, you know, down on in Hollywood on sunset, it would have been somewhere else, but I just can't. Did you guys ever play the Valley? Uh, we've played it out in, in the Valley out yeah. in California, yeah, in yeah. Los yeah. Angeles. Yeah, yeah. We played at the country club once with oh, the replacements. Uh, oh, okay. But, uh, that that's the that. only, only time what? I saw you, Jason uh -huh. at universal amphitheater. Oh, with the Dude. cult. With the cult. With the cult. Yeah. And Rick Rubin was standing next to me. Far out. And Rick wanted to wanted to sign the hangman before Capitol. Wow. But he he wanted to change the band. He's going, I can get better players for you. Wow. And Keith Keith Morris was managing us at the time. And he goes, Yeah, Rick really likes everything, but he wants to you know, get better guitar player and a better drummer and a better. And, you know, Keith and I both knew that that wasn't going to happen. Right. I feel like he did <clears throat> that with the, uh, like the four horsemen. I think he kind of built that band. Right. Yeah. Um, but, well, well, but, I, um, yeah, I saw we, had you a, there. we had a great time on that tour with the cult. Uh, That's awesome. I love the cult. And, yeah. Uh, and I remembered liking you guys too. And I didn't know that much about you. Yeah. Um, I was shocked that, that Ian and Billy, uh, were, they saw, our, you know, I, I just, I just imagined they were, you know, he was in Canada or something. Billy was in, um, England or something. And they're, and they're going, well, who, who, who do we want to get? Oh, well, and they see our video. Cause I heard they told them, they told us they saw our video and they were like, Oh, they're like, um, they're like, uh, what did he say? It's, they're like a sort of like a New York dolls ish thing, but they're from Texas. They're boogie. It's this boogie cool. thing and they're trashy and they're not, right on. and it wasn't, um, wasn't exactly what was going on in Hollywood either. Right. Right. Um, yeah. but in, in that you can, that's, it's easy to, to say that that's not really, and, you know, honestly, if I were to listen to your first record, uh, after hearing you say, that's not what we're supposed to sound like, mm -hmm. um, I'm with the rest of the sheep, not knowing that you feel that way. Right. But did you feel that way about your first record on a major label? N no. Didn't you? Oh, no, okay, good. I feel well, like we, I feel like. You're so lucky. Well, I here it happened so fast for us because I was in this thrash band for like a decade. And then all of a sudden I'm moonlighting 
you know, doing some kind of boogie glam thing, cover songs and shit. And we did ACDC and Zeppelin, but we also covered what was hot in 88 and that was in 87 and 88. And that was Faster Pussycat and L.A. Guns. And we did, uh, you know, Jungle and It's So Easy because that was new ish. And what was happening out there, you know, it wasn't Dawkins or Motley. It was sure. It was those yeah. bands. Yeah. And so in March of 88, somebody came down and signed us. So that means I was in the band six months. Wow. So we didn't even know. What yeah. We, wait. What, I had, we hadn't even been into proper studio. We hadn't really recorded ourselves yet. Dude, that, that's, that's pretty rad. I like that. They threw you us know. in there with Max Norman. And we're like, holy shit, the guy that produced Crazy Train is going to make a record with us? Well, right. Max, you just make us sound good. So yeah. we just let him do what cool. he does. Right um, on. But I swear I saw, did you guys tour through Texas? Yeah. What year? Yeah. Would it have been like that year, the 89 80, or 90? 89 or 90, yes. Uh, did you play the yeah. back room? Do you remember a club uh, called the Back Room? Do you remember much? I, re I don't remember much. I remember that we had we had a tour bus and we put we go what band do we hate the most? But would get would get the most girls. I love this. So we put Bon Jovi on the front of our bus. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, on that little thing. Yeah. And girls were just flashing us all over yeah. the place you know and then they'd be so disappointed when they'd see us walking off the bus yeah our, we had the they're, the they're so dirty the marquee the marquee <laughs> the on, those, on those buses the marquee would usually have a couple of different names and we had oh, one really? that said rat oh, okay so we just we <laughs> were rat for about a month excellent two months that we is were so rat. awesome yeah. yeah and then we had another one that said prison bus <laughs> that's awesome that's when you wanted to scare people away well, yeah, that through, is funny we, we wanted to go get through those feet. those checkpoints like when you're coming out of texas going to la you go through in, in el paso you go through that border patrol kind of you know okay. and they've got drug dogs and shit we put yeah. it on prison bus wave us on through wow no <laughs> shit waved us on through yeah wow. that's awesome <laughs> wow <laughs> But so that's where funny. I saw you guys at the back room. Because oh, I saw bands like been. The Throbs. I saw The Throbs yeah. at the back yeah. room. Yeah. Surely you guys I'm, had I'm some of the I'm same sure booking we, agent shit going. I'm, you know. I'm sure we were. Yeah. yeah that I think well I saw you guys been. one time in Texas. And, and I think I saw you in California somewhere. Yeah. But I, as a, to answer Dave's questions, I don't really think that you and I know each other that well. No, no. no but we, I haven't enjoyed your... Uh, your guys's podcast that you're doing, you know, it's been really cool. I saw the one with Chris Gates awesome. and I, I just loved it. And awesome. you know, you guys have a great thing going. I well, really enjoy me, it. Me and Dave, uh, I guess Dave's kind of cool, you know? Um, <laughs> no, we really, I mean, uh, Dave's a great guy and you know that and everybody who meets Dave, that's not even from here. They just know Dave because he's a hardcore rock and roll fan. Yeah. And but once awesome. they meet him and his and his family and everything, every, you know, Dave's good people. So yeah. And we we've, we've known each other for so long. It's like the idea of the show was a no brainer when Jared, our producer, who is my co songwriter in Broken Teeth, dude, it's just a no fucking brainer. 
Yeah. So cool. we can get we're together. Lucky enough to, we're lucky enough to have guys like Brian here on Speed and Chris Gates and stuff like that. And so, yeah. Yeah. you know, we've yeah, been very lucky with the, with the guests because you guys of, make it easy for us to kind of get in your head because you're already, you're already one of us and you're, you kind of let us, you know, talk to you for real and not just like, what's your favorite food? You know, right. Yeah. So Jason brought up the word, uh, brought up the word trashy earlier. And, and I wanted to, I, that, I, I wanted to expand on that a little bit because one of the things I like about the hangman is there's a very seedy quality to the music and, and whether it's seedy as in a very dark, scary place or in a beautifully sort of shattered place, there's no doubt that uh, it, there's a certain street grit that goes into, especially the lyrics. So I'm wondering, you know, you, you got sober 25 years ago. How did that impact your lyric writing? Because I feel like when you're living the life, some of those lyrics might come easier because it's part of your everyday experience and when you're removed from it some you know 25 years or whatever how do you still find that place and that that inspiration that seems to have come from a place that's no longer part of your everyday life hmm. does that make sense yeah it does but it really is still part of my life not the drug use not the alcoholism not, not the alcohol itself, but I'm still got this brain <laughs> that that I have to somehow, you know, I can go to those places without doing any of those things that I used to do, yeah, you know, that's, and that's I, I, I could feel it, you know, yeah. and it's not a place that I want to live in. But I think a lot of people, whether they did drugs or, or not, have a, we're still humans, you know, and we have these, the human condition that, that is melancholy at times and sad or angry, you know, yeah. you know, these, these kind of things and, or, you know, let's fight. Sure. You know, yeah. All that stuff is still there. I think um, that there's a, that's a, it's a mysterious question by way of, well, the way that I'm understanding how Dave, what Dave is asking you, as well as the way that you're answering by way of, um, you know, you're, I love what you just said about it, but, but I, I put it to, and I'm thinking about your music. And just like Dave is, I'm thinking about your music and, and you are too, when you answered the way that you are, th your sensitivities are still there, at, even though you're not fucked up, you're still, mm -hmm. the, you yeah. know, you it said it best with the human condition. You, you can only control that so much. And then you want to, if you're a creative person, you're going to get that out. That's mm -hmm. going to come out. It's unhealthy to not let that out. The people who don't have a release at all, they're not a writer or a painter or a creator or they're not a teacher or, a, you know, they you got to let that stuff out and share it in a way that's somewhat proper. Um, can't run naked down the street anymore. You know, not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not that your, your desires to do that are probably less now, too, in the past yeah. 25 years. So... What I'm where I'm going with this, and I'm talking about hangman music, is 
hopefully you'll you'll understand this and maybe you can you can disagree if you want. Mm-hmm. I call it this and I go I talk about this. I describe music this way that sounds kind of like the hangman, lonesome cowboy. You're on the road, you're sad, you miss your family, you're angry, you're going to you're drinking, you're you're by yourself. You're with people you don't want to be around. You t- lonesome cowboy kind of just sounds like a a style of music to me. And mm-hmm. I feel like it fits some of what what you're doing when, with the hangman. Did you you understand that? Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't I don't I, disagree with that at all. I've always been, yeah. you know, I if someone, you know, I, I kind I feel like there's a piece of me that's always been attracted to uh, I don't I don't want to say danger, but that's the word that mm-hmm. comes to mind first. And and some of it is like this. It, it's it never fails. If I'm in a car driving through a big city, not a city that I live in, but say I'm on a road trip and I happen to drive through downtown Houston or, you know, I visited Los Angeles once and, you know, or a couple times actually. And on the drive back from the airport, we went through some of the sketchy neighborhoods and I'm just fascinated by that stuff, man. But I'll tell you right now, there's no way I'd want to live there, but there's something about it that intrigues me. And that's kind of what I was asking you, Brian, I think is, do you never really break away from that from that intrigue even though it's something you don't necessarily live day to day but there's a certain appeal to that darkness that never really goes away yeah there's an appeal and i don't know i don't know what why i have that appeal but a lot of people do i think it's a lot of people do yeah and um you know, there's there's guys. At, uh, I'm bringing up Mark Lanigan, who just passed away, yeah, and he exactly. he was he was the he was just genius in my in in my opinion, and in most people's opinion, you know. But he was always so fucking dark, you know. Mm. But I, I, you know, that guy is is dark. <laughs> Yeah. You know, um, you know, we have some of that in our music, but it's not like it's hardcore is, is, is Mark's was, but, um, I don't know where I'm going with that. I just wanted to kind of to acknowledge him because he's, he, I never met him, but a lot of my friends knew him and I just always admired him. I thought he was like, you know, yeah, yeah, pretty pretty courageous uh you know doing what he does the fear you know? fearless writer fear, yeah not absolutely. afraid to write any kind of yeah yeah just like yeah. and just like ooh, you know and it and it was so honest that you know you couldn't help but feel you you didn't you knew he wasn't bullshitting yeah so right. yeah so Tell tell me about working with Mike Ness from Social Distortion. He he produced uh, your In the City album, and yeah. and I'm I'm curious to know because uh, I don't know Mike personally. I don't really even know you personally. We've connected here and there, but right. I feel like you and Mike you, you strike me as kindred spirits in a lot of ways. Is is that what kind of brought you guys together to work together or? did you find something did you learn that after or am i off the mark uh, i think you're 
you're pretty much there, Dave. It, it was uh, Johnny Two Bags, the guitar player, um, was in a band called the Cadillac Tramps. And the hangman used to play a lot with the Cadillac Tramps. And Johnny continued to be a hangman fan after he joined Social Distortion and was always telling Mike, you know, we got to have the hangman, you know, on a show. We got to have. So one time, you know, Mike said, okay. You know, and we played a show with them. And then we kind of toured with them for about 10 years on and off, Mm. you know. And Mike uh, said, you know, whenever you guys are ready to do something, I'd like to produce it. And and we weren't really ready to do a record, but we had enough songs to do like like an EP, like in the city, uh, almost an album, seven songs. And um, I loved working with Mike cause he's a songwriter and you know, uh, we have similar sensibilities. I believe, you know, he's very simple songwriter and, um, I don't know. It just worked out good. You know, yeah. I really, I really liked it. And I know that he got who we were cause we'd played so many shows together and he, he goes, oh, I just love your groove, man. I love your groove. You know, so we knew that that we were a, a band that had a groove, had a had this swing to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He a certain a certain swing, and I, and and I love that he recognized that. You know, and uh, and was flattered that he wanted to do anything with us. And, yeah, I mean and that so. that sounds like a good match <clears throat> on paper. I'm just glad that it it ended well uh and was it was a good match in the studio kind of thing too yeah yeah i'd love to work with mike again if it ever came my way awesome you know what's your uh purely selfish question on my part here but what's your connection to tamey down i know he's a big fan tamey was a very good friend of this girl who was kind of living it kind of living kind of not in our apartment. I lived in this crazy apartment building with assorted horse heads, you know, circle jerk people, chili pepper guys, you know, I couldn't have landed in a better spot ever, you know? And I just came fresh off the bus from not, well, my VW bus from Boise, you know, into this, into this world you know, I was just felt like the luckiest kid ever, you know, but, um, Tammy was friends with this girl, this goth girl that was kind of living with us called Wendy Pyro. And, and she goes, Oh, my friends, uh, they got a band, you know, this was a couple of years after the hangman had been going. And, and so we went down to see him practice and it was faster pussycat like one of their first rehearsals. Wow. You know, and, uh, you know, I kind of met Tammy through her and, you know, I can't say we ever really hung out together, but you know, we've always said hello to each other and, and whatnot. So I see him wear your t-shirts quite often. Oh yeah. Well, thank you, Tammy. Yeah. I I appreciate that. He's fairly recently sober as well. Wow, good for him, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, that's I, rad. I just did the Monsters of Rock cruise and I saw him day one and then I saw him uh play 
and the and the, and the and after the show I got to talk to him again I was like your his voice is stronger I mean it's like he's don't take this the wrong way Tammy if you're hearing this but he's singing true notes and not just that you know raspy air sure. like Lemmy yeah. is just Lemmy was air over pipes you know and right. and Tammy and that's a style too and that's cool sure. but Tammy sure. was singing some real notes and right. it was in songs that he normally didn't do that I think right. House of Pain he's used you know he's singing he's he's singing but but he was singing more that's a I should have led with that but yeah then I good. saw him he got invited to he was on uh, I saw Alice Cooper was on the boat yeah. and Cooper. um wow. the first night it, they they play schools out and all of a sudden Alice does this over to the side of the stage and Tammy comes out and sings a fucking verse for school for schools out yeah. with Alice. I and bet that just, sounded great. Yes. It yeah. was fun. Yeah. Uh, Tammy's in a, a real good place right and now. And he looks great good. too. You see that's, any recent pictures of him and he yeah. looks fantastic. So. Dude, yeah, that's, we, that's, we as, that's awesome. We, we as just rock and roll, I don't know this sounds cheesy, but community, we needed Tammy to do that. Yeah, there, oh, there's yeah. still a big draw, um, you know, on the boat as well as when they tour. So I'm oh, glad that he's he's stronger now. But that was a cool story. Absolutely. Wendy oh, Pyro. Yeah. You ever see <laughs> Wendy Pyro around anymore? <laughs> um, Disappeared. Kind of. And then, oh. you know, she's she's on the Facebook. Oh, right. OK. Thing, you know. People from the old days are all yeah. on Facebook. Yeah. 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 But, I want uh, to talk about this. This is Cactusville. This yeah. is my, my green copy of uh, the latest full-length Hangman record, Cactusville. You got, and a cover? You, you got a cover for that? Yeah. Okay. That's good. I do. <laughs> oh, good. It actually. You got to take care of your records, it, man. It's signed by Jimmy James. I see that. Love it. It's, it's I see a, all the loops. It's awaiting uh, Brian's signature one day. And I, I also have Metallic IOU on vinyl, and I had Jimmy sign that. That one's framed and hanging out in the living room. You know that. Uh, you notice how I said living room, so everybody places, can Brian, see special it. Special places, <laughs> right on. Mm -hmm. But I wanted Thanks, to talk Dave. about. Oh man, Cactusville! What a great record, and. Um, uh, I noticed that on the credits on side two are different from side one. And I wanted to mm -hmm. know if that is, if there's a different lineup on side two, or if those are supplemental players on top of the, the hangman band. It's supplemental and the latter, like you said. Okay. So it's um, kind of a mixed bag. <laughs> yeah. We had Hunter or old drummer play on, on those, uh, on the slower, more country or song side two, you know, and that's just the, the way it happened. We'd recorded a lot of those songs before George was in the band. And then yeah. we had the, the rock and roll, more of the rock and roll stuff George was in the band for. So he did, did those, <clears throat> but I wanted those particular slower country or ish songs to be treated in a way that I'd never done before that I'd always wanted to was with like pianos and pedal steel and, and uh, strings and stuff that I thought would 
help the songs. You know, I think they deserved more than, than what we could give them as just the four piece, you know, rock, so rock band treatment. Right. Yeah. 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 So, so I tr- tried to do that to the best of our ability with, with Bob Dylan's Nashville skyline in mind. And with, you know, a lot of the early country music that, that I liked had the, or like some Glenn Campbell stuff and just had these strings meander stuff you don't really notice unless you're listening and then you hear it and they kind of make the song for you yeah you know so so trying to do a little bit of that with with with, uh with side b of that record i'll be honest i I, it sounds like i need to hear that record it sounds it's great and i'll I'll be honest slower country vibe i need to hear that shit and and while we're all being honest, I'll, I'll tell you when I got it. At first, I was kind of thrown by by some of the more twangy. It, it, it's definitely a, a. It does have all those elements you just said, Brian, and um, it took me by surprise a little bit. And I'm not sure why, because the Hangmen have always had elements of that in their music. But yeah. I've never heard it consolidated to a side of a record where it's like, okay, this is this is going to continue for consecutive songs you know making it obvious yeah making yeah. it obvious yeah but he's, I, I love he's still it. there he's just got to turn his stuff back on yeah was it something i said no no <laughs> i just think it it just slipped it's all yeah. good am i back yeah, yeah you're right. back you're back, back and looking back. back and looking good yeah, I think i'm back i think it's a, a great idea to have like I'm just being silly here, a white meat and a dark meat, you know, a black and a white or something that's, Mm -hmm. that's kind of saying a certain something on in one place and maybe something slightly different on another. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. It works. And when I look at the album, I find that, you know, my favorite songs are almost evenly split on the two sides. So that tells you all you need to know right there. You know, I, it's not like all my favorite songs are on the rock side. Right, right. All, it's like I like these two songs over here and this song over here. And the, the, whatever you did, I know it was done by design and it and it works. And so is that something you would consider um moving forward with uh your next hangman record or is this something you just wanted to get out of your system or no telling i think that element is always part of the hangman the the the, you know the slower more country-ish type stuff and as well as as the rock and roll you know so i don't think i'd split them up again like that yeah um, I, to be honest with you, I was really, really wrestling with the idea of doing that. Weird. And, and, and I was just going, this, this might be a big mistake, you know? <laughs> and, but it, I'm proud of the record, you yeah. know, and, and, and I'm glad we did it that way. So I think it's great. Know, and it's, it's a great you know, record. Thank you. Great record. This far, this far along into your journey and uh, your, your willingness to sort of experiment with your sound a little bit and do something like that and have it work is just like, I don't know, man, you, whatever you're doing, (laughs) you're doing it well. In retrospect, that little bit of paranoia, like you 
you were struggling with that idea of splitting yeah. up a, a rock side and a twangy side, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's okay to have a little bit of fear because, you know, those those songs mean something to you and you're you're singing your heart out. You're thinking about things, you know, when you're writing almost, those. And, I almost yeah. don't even hear it, to be honest. The, the only reason oh. that it stands out to me as, as being quote unquote divided is because the credits on the back of the album yeah. point to the fact that a different group of players did side two versus side a and then i listen with a different set of ears and i go okay i can hear nuances now but if you didn't if you hadn't told me because it's a hangman record and those elements have always been there i would have just thought it's another you know cohesive hangman record All right wow yeah well it's like, kind of yeah, i'm sorry go ahead yeah, I don't think we've lumped that many slow bummer songs together. Uh, <laughs> slow bummer. I, I want to hear the. Yeah. I want to hear this record even more now because I like slow bummer songs. Yeah. Hey man, yeah. nobody does slow bummer as good as this <laughs> man right I'm ha here. I'm yeah. happy. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have, look into getting that record. Um, the uh, I was gonna say a second ago. You know that the what we're talking about specifically until you said the last thing you said, Dave, uh, like you wouldn't know, like if it were a CD or it's just a mix and it's just on sure. random or whatever, you wouldn't really notice it. But the fact that it's on vinyl and that there is a split between, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the group of players, if you will, or, you know, yeah. side A, side B, you can only do that on vinyl, of course. So you've got this, ritual that you're doing that you're going into the slow bummer you know you're going mm -hmm. into the rock and roll right, you're right. Going, it's like a choice i don't know if nah. i want to listen to side b again yeah <laughs> no. now side b yep yeah now yep. as tom petty says or whatever right yeah. i love it i think it works and uh I, I, I it's a great great record if uh people don't have it yet it needs to be part of your collection cactusville it's a really really great record and i like the fact that it was available on green vinyl because it looks really cool <laughs> um, thanks so you got this album out you did a tour recently uh it might be a, maybe going on a year ago now maybe more you went overseas and you know me, I've been I've been hounding you on Facebook for a Texas tour for probably about a year now. And I know COVID got in the way. Yeah. Jeez. My, I've only had the opportunity to see you guys once. And Jason was there. It was during South by Southwest. You guys played on the back patio of Casino oh, yeah. Camino. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. The, oh, okay. Streetwalking Cheetahs. The yeah. Hangman, Streetwalking Cheetahs. That's fucking right. And Broken Teeth. Thank you and for no, Sons of was Broken Teeth. Son, no, no, Sons of Hercules not were on the building. Teeth. Not Broken Teeth, but Jason okay. guested, and they and oh, Jason, okay. Jason came up with the Cheetahs, and they did an Iron Maiden song, and then they did a Broken Teeth song, and that was the Oops. only chance that I'd oh. ever had to see the Hangman. But at the time. I wasn't aware of your music, so I didn't know who you were. And I was friends with the other two bands. 
So by the time they got done playing, I was more concerned with mingling with my friends. And I'm sure I saw a few of your songs and paid attention a little bit, but I wasn't as fully invested in the band. And I've been kicking myself ever since because I've become a really big fan since that time. And I haven't had the opportunity to see you again. Um, and that was like 20 years ago or something. Yeah, so my question, right. yeah, when are we going to see time. you in Texas, man? <laughs> Hopefully this... Hopefully soon-ish, you know, that's the best answer I can give because, you know, I live in Montana now. That makes things a little more difficult. We got to plan things ahead. And with COVID, we haven't been able to plan ahead very well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, or plan at all. I mean, that European thing, we snuck in under the, under the wire and got out under the wire, you know? That was a month over there. And um, that was in, in October. It hasn't oh, been a year. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was just yeah. in October, you know, October to September, I think. Uh, or of 21? Yeah, of yeah. 21. Yeah. I still call yeah. that fairly recent. Yeah. yeah. For in, in hangman years, that that's that's like yesterday. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember I thinking, to that. Too. I, I remember seeing you were going overseas, and I and I knew Junkyard was planning some dates, and I was like, "Is Jimmy James going to get back in time to do the the Junkyard run?" Because one of those dates came through Austin, and Jason's band Broken Teeth was playing. Oh, okay. Um, but you you obviously did, and uh, yeah, that and was uh, early December. Yeah, or, that was early December. second week of December. Mm -hmm. We so. Yeah. Yeah, but any, I knew you didn't have an answer to my question. I guess what I'm saying is I can't wait for you to get to Texas because. Yeah, well, us too. We, yeah. We would, you know, and Angelique, Angelique, our bass player, she's from Denton. You okay, know, she, yeah. she, and she might be moving back there, you know, to Texas. And, you know, we, with our connection with, uh, you know, junkyard and, and and those guys and you know we've always kind of had an affinity for texas too yeah. you know had 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 this love of texas and all things texas yeah. you know yeah it's it's cool so well i hope that covid and other logistics allow for it because i'm long yeah. overdue for uh, a hangman show and cool. uh, and it'd be great to finally meet you in person one day um, well, I think that all things uh, hangmen lend themselves to, in a nutshell, dirty rock and roll. So people in Texas love dirty rock and roll. So I'm sure that the uh, connection you have with Texas is real and will continue to be uh, yeah. real. So Yeah, for sure. Well, Brian, um, man, I, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. I've, I've wanted you on the show for a long time. I want to see you play live again as soon as possible. Um, I, I appreciate all your music, all your records, everything that you do. Uh, please keep cranking out the records. I've, oh, I, think thanks, I, have, I think I have them all at this point. Um, cool. And I love them. So I think I'm, gonna, Thank Dave, you. I'm, I'm on my way over to your house. And, and if I, if I say, Hey Dave, what's that over there? And then some of your hangman records disappear. It was me. <laughs> You're going to have to leave a down payment, dude. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, well, I'm heading to LA in a couple of weeks uh, to record 
awesome. to work, to work and record and play one show at, uh, the Zebulon with, uh, <clears throat> with a guy named Chris D and he's in a band called the divine horseman. And Chris D is an amazing, uh, singer, writer, whaler from, from the beginning, beginnings of punk, the punk rock scene. He actually, uh, produced fire of love, the gun club record that changed my life, you know, and he's, he's, he's amazing. So we're going to do this, this one show and record and, you know, make, uh, my short trip as as fruitful as possible. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we're doing now. Short pilgrimage. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 Well, good luck safe, on that. Yeah, and safe thank you. To yeah, I was, I was, I, I was real nervous about about doing this. To be honest with you, because oh, I, no. I unfortunately, I, I, I did a little homework and was starting to watch your podcast, and I'm going, oh, there we go. That's okay. <laughs> and then I was going like look at all these great people they've got on here. Why the hell do they want to talk to me? You know? So, well, you know what? We, but, to be straight with you, for me, man, you're, you're uh, like, you, we feel the same way. Why is, why are these people wanting to talk to us? It's like, do they realize they're going to, they're talking to Beavis and Butthead and, and it's, it's Wayne's world. Uh, don't know. Nah, you guys, are, yeah, so, nah, you guys made ways, it great. Man. So I, pre- I appreciate it. Cool. Ryan, thank you so much. On behalf of my co-host, Jason McMaster, I'm Metal Dave, along with our very special guest today, Brian Small from The Hangman, on this episode of the Talk Louder podcast. 